1: Wenn Sie diesen Podcast hören, wissen Sie bereits, wie wichtig es ist, Fragen zu stellen. Bei Aramco helfen uns unsere Fragen, eine bessere Zukunft zu gestalten. Wie können wir die Kraftstoffe von morgen zur Verfügung stellen? Wie können wir die Ressourcen von heute zum Treibstoff für unsere gemeinsame Zukunft machen? Wie können wir eine Welt mit Energie versorgen, die sich keinen Ausfall leisten kann? Wie können wir Neugier säen und so Ideenreichtum ernten? Mehr zu Innovationen, die uns voranbringen? Aramco.com slash das Wie treibt uns an.
2: The Global Story is the podcast helping you make sense of the news. Join me, Katja Adler, every weekday as I take a closer look at the stories making the headlines with insights from the BBC's global network of experts. Search for The Global Story wherever you get your BBC podcasts. You're listening to Discovery from the BBC World Service. I'm Adam Hart and this is Tooth and Claw, the series where I explore our complex and challenging relationships with Earth's greatest predators, through the people who have spent their lives studying, protecting and at times narrowly escaping them. Today's predator may be small, but its powerful jaw muscles and serrated teeth give it the capability to rip flesh with its strong bite. From feeding frenzies to bubbling bloodbaths, there are plenty of gruesome stories about shoals of these fish in the fresh waters of South America. But are these tales true? And what role did a former United States president play in giving these fish their voracious reputation? It's time to learn the truth about the piranha. Here to help us dispel myths about these razor-toothed fish are Marcelo Andrade, a professor at the Federal University of Maranhão in Brazil, and Hannah Thomas, the aquarium team manager at Chester Zoo in the UK. Now to start us off, let's go straight into what piranhas are notorious for. Do they really deserve their ferocious feeding reputation? Many pages online about piranhas suggest that it would take about 3 to 500 of them 5 minutes to completely strip the flesh off a typical human body. Does that sound realistic? Hannah, let's come to you first.
0: As somebody who's been in a tank with piranha and swims with them on a regular basis, I can confirm that that's not true.
2: <laughs> because you're still here to answer the question.
0: Yes, very much so.
2: So is it a case that there's ever situations where they can do this or is this really just a just a myth?
0: There are occasions when they can be really ferocious predators and kill animals and strip them down to the bone. But in captivity especially, they are really timid fish. And when you get in with them, all they want to do is avoid conflict and get out of the way.
2: So they're not really the sort of voracious predators that we've we've come to expect or come to think of them as?
0: They definitely don't live up to their reputation as it's portrayed in films and cinema. They'll take the route of least conflict and they'll avoid danger wherever possible. So live prey is a source of danger for them. They much prefer scavenging on, on animals that are dead already.
2: Now, we're used on Toussaint Claw to dispelling some myths about predators, but this seems to be a particularly big myth about piranhas. Hannah, where did this misguided interpretation of their behaviour come from?
0: Reputation probably came from Theodore Roosevelt's visit to South America in 1913. He wanted um, to look at the natural history in South America, and people, understandably, wanted him to have a good experience. And this ended up in hundreds of piranhas being corralled into a, a short bit of river, They were starved for an unknown amount of time. And then when he was there, a cow was lowered into the river and they all went to attack it. And it looked like the river was boiling and the cow was ripped to shreds in a matter of seconds. He came back and wrote about it and said that they devour alive any man or beast. So this is probably where they're where their reputation came from.
2: Yeah, that certainly, certainly sounds like where it came from. In terms of what they, they actually eat then and what would fall into the river, what what, what should feel frightened of piranhas?
0: Well, I don't want to uh, ruin the format of your show, but I'm not entirely sure that they count as as predators really because they they're scavengers most of the time in my experience. So things like insects, worms, snails, plants, seeds, bits of fruit... And then they will eat meat when it's available. They have been known to scavenge on things like capybara.
2: So, yes, very much not as tooth and claw, or I suppose as uh, tooth and fin, as we might expect, but nonetheless an, an interesting animal. Marcella, you go out into the piranha's territory to do your research. When you're out there, what sort of things are you looking for in the piranha? What type of questions are you trying to answer?
1: I work specifically with piranhas to study about the environment and about the piranha behavior. So, uh, when I in the field, I'm looking for changes in the environment generated for anthropogenic changes like uh, dams, construction of hydroelectric power plants or gold mining or deforestation. And these things alter dramatically the environment of piranhas. And it could be hard field to, to these fish to live there. And so I'm looking for this. How these changes will impact the, the fish and mainly for piranhas. Piranhas is known to be fish that eat flesh, but there is piranhas that eat also seeds or leaves or another groups of animals, small animals. The main topic of my study is to show how the impacts in the environment will change the lives of Piranhas.
2: Now, we're talking about piranhas here as though they're old friends and very familiar. But, of course, for, for many of us, they're not really very familiar outside of, as we said already, sort of uh, horror films and so on. Can you describe for us what we're dealing with when we're talking about piranhas? What sort of fish are they? What do they look like?
1: Piranha is a member of a group in that is called Terrasalmin. Terrasalmin is a family of uh, forms that live in only in South America. It is more common, the red-bellied piranha. But there are many kinds of piranhas. There are uh, around about 100 piranhas. Half of them are flesh-eating. There are many other kinds of the feeding behaviours.
2: So these are quite a diverse group of, of fish, actually. Um, Hannah, what species do you keep over at Chester Zoo, and, and how many of them have you gotten, and, and how does that work?
0: We've got 40 red-bellied piranhas, so as Marcello said, they're the type that are most commonly portrayed in films. Um, they do have visible teeth that you can see when they're just resting and milling about, and that's what makes them iconic. And um, The reason that we've got them is because everybody recognises them. As soon as they see them, they know what fish they are because of their teeth. We know people have a harder time relating to animals that can't move their face, so fish struggle because they're not as as cute
2: they're, they're not as they're not as cute as the the fluffy fluffies as the as i call them sometimes yeah the the, the mammals that tend to captivate everyone
0: exactly they're a harder sell than a, a panda for instance having a fish that people recognize helps us start a conversation about them
2: i guess the other thing is although they may not be as charismatic in terms of their appearance or, or facially or whatever they they do have these charismatic behaviors are you able to coax any of those feeding behaviors out of them when they're in the Zoo.
0: it's a tricky balance when they're in captivity because you don't want them to be so hungry that when you go in you get nibbled the traditional kind of feeding frenzy that people are expecting is quite rare to see because we don't want them to be that hungry
2: and in terms of the red bellied ones that you keep what's the size fish are we looking at are they big small how would you describe them
0: they get up to about 35 centimeters long I think they're quite kind of stout, bulldog-esque fish. They've got quite a squat face. They're not the prettiest fish in the world, although they do have quite glittery scales. So they shimmer under light and their red belly, that colouration can change depending on their mood, whether they're defending territory, and um, whether they're in breeding. So that can be a really vivid red when they're excited.
2: How do piranha live, Hannah? Do they live on their own? Are they uh, shoaling fish? How, how, how does that work?
0: They much prefer to be in a group. It gives them a sense of safety, there are more eyes to look out for predators and it decreases an individual's chances of being eaten. They feel a lot more comfortable when they're in a group and you'll see that interaction in captivity. That's one of the key aspects that we have to manage is the the hierarchy within the group. So there's a, a very strict order of dominant individuals and then working their way down the rankings.
2: Oh right, so they're not just a big group of fish. There's actually social behaviours and structures within that group.
0: Yes, there are definitely definitely dominant individuals. When you see a still group of piranha, that means that the hierarchy is established. When they are moving around, they're literally kind of jockeying for position.
2: And when they're hunting, do they do that in a, a shoaling and coordinated way, or are they more solitary in that behaviour?
0: They will eat one prey item together. I wouldn't describe it as coordinated. In fact, occasionally, if they get in each other's way, then there will be injuries to them. They will eat big prey items together. And that's where the misconception comes from of them swarming on one unfortunate animal.
2: And when you first started working with piranhas, what were the biggest surprises about them?
0: I think the biggest one was that they're just so scared when you get in the tank they absolutely want to avoid you they hide at the back and they'll do anything to avoid coming near you which was the opposite (laughs) yeah Yeah, the opposite scenario of what I was expecting.
2: It's not what their reputation suggests is it? Definitely not. And I'm going to ask Marcelo in a minute about some of their behaviours in in the wild because I know they do some quite unusual feeding behaviours involving some other fish but what do you feed them in captivity in the zoo?
0: They get a whole range of things. We will feed them different types of fish. They get different vegetables. They get peas sometimes, which they seem to enjoy, and lots of insects as well.
2: I think most people would assume you just chuck in some steaks and, and let them have it, but as, as, we, as we've rapidly learnt in this episode, that is not the case for piranhas. But they do do something that's uh, a little bit gruesome, or at least I think they do. Lepidophagy, the idea that they can nibble off the tips of uh, fins and tails of other fish. Is that true? Some piranhas,
1: like uh, the black piranha, could eat some parts of fins and scales of other fish. Other fish have uh, some pattern of coloration in the tails, like a black border in the tail, that it is very visible for other fish, mainly for predators. And piranhas could attack these fish but when this fish is swimming, this piranha take just the tip of this the tail, because the the black coloration and the fish avoid the predation could escape of this attack.
2: And do those tail tips and fin tips grow back?
1: Yeah, the tail of the fish is like our nail or our hair. And this fish will grow again.
2: Where their fins and tails grow back, uh, are the piranhas sort of almost grazing on them like a sustainable food source? Like you see animals grazing on grass that grows back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I believe now that uh, the the fins and tails for uh, piranhas is not uh, a main Main food for this fish. Uh, people say, no, piranhas is, they have a, a habit of lepidophagal fish, but I think it's a misconception of this kind of feeding behavior because piranhas, the, the main focus of piranhas is to, to catch this fish like a prey. But uh, when this fish escape, piranhas just take off the part of the fins and, and the, that part of the, the, the thing like a tail could grow, grow up again.
0: We do see that behaviour in captivity, particularly when they're at the juvenile life stage.
2: Oh, right, So they'll go around in, in the tank and, and have a little nibble at each other or with other fish?
0: Both. Yeah, they're not fussy.
2: They're, they're not fussy. <laughs> a fin's a fin. Now, we're certainly painting a picture of piranhas that's a little bit more gentle and less ferocious than we might have thought quite omnivorous, perhaps doing a bit of fishtail nibbling, but there certainly are some, some sort of conditions when they will attack and hunt as a group. What sort of conditions would it be that perhaps a larger animal like a capybara or even a person should be fearful of piranhas? Is there, is there any particular set of conditions which which bring those things together?
1: Only when there is a sick animal or wounded animal in the, into the water that piranhas could attack this animal.
2: So piranhas will really only target larger animals if they're sick or or struggling or perhaps already dying?
1: Yes, piranhas uh, just focus on small preys like fish and piranhas just attack large animals when these uh, are sick or bleeding into the environment like a wounded capybara or a call.
2: piranhas obviously have a, a reputation for being uh, quite quite ferocious do, do people swim with them are people quite happy to
1: enter the water when they're around in amazon it's very common to people swimming in the rivers crowded by piranhas you know a uh, People in Amazon, indigenous people live in Amazon for thousands of years, swimming into the water that is crowded of piranhas and nobody uh, know about uh, indigenous people that was killed by piranhas, or for example, a cow or a capybara could swim swimming into the water, crowded by piranhas and don't have any accident nobody. Fear piranhas.
2: Are there ever incidents with people being attacked by piranhas? Is this something that happens, albeit very rarely?
1: No, it's not too common. These attacks occur in summer season when people go to the river and make uh, food in the side banks and throw up the rest of this food, the, the leftovers, in the, into the water that will attract small fish or small animals like in shrimps, these uh, small animals attract piranhas too close to people and then could have a accident with people that could have the tip of toes or fingers take off by of a bite of a piranha.
2: So we can we can sort of say it's normally the person's fault that they've been bitten rather than the piranha's natural tendencies to attack, which we've already kind of seen are a bit overblown, really.
1: I totally agree. People... Pure piranhas, but it's just from films. This is not uh, in the natural environment.
2: You're listening to Discovery from the BBC World Service. I'm Adam Hart and this is Tooth and Claw. Today we're talking about the piranha, found in the fresh waters across South America from up in Venezuela in the Orinoco River to the Amazon and down to the Paraná River in Argentina. Joining us are Marcelo Andragi from the Federal University of maranhão in Brazil and Hannah Thomas from Chester Zoo in the U.K., so far, we've cleared up some misconceptions about piranhas and their eating habits, but now let's take a look at what else there is to know about these strong-jawed, sharp-toothed fish, and I think teeth is where we need to go next. Hannah, can you describe to us, please, what piranha actually have in the front of their mouths there? What's special about their teeth?
0: They're serrated and triangular, and they're quite sharp, but the thing that gives the teeth their danger is the strong jaw muscles that support them. So that biting action is really strong. And um, they use their teeth to make noise. So they will gnash their teeth together when they're chasing other fish away. And they make three different types of sounds. Two are made when a tendon resonates against their swim bladder. And they're all associated with aggression. So they'll be chasing fish or doing a frontal display to scare them off but that's another use for their teeth.
2: We've come across quite a few predators in this series that have these very, very strong jaw muscles, and it's usually to do with sort of tearing flesh off. Is that what we're dealing with with piranhas?
0: Yes, they would bite and rip, and they have the strongest bite of any living fish relative to their body size. That's the the black piranha that have that, but all piranha have the really specialised, developed jaw muscles, and you see it around their face. That's what gives them that kind of bulldog-esque look is the strong jaw muscle.
2: And Marcelo, you researched piranhas in the Amazon. We've mentioned the, the, the group. We've alluded to the fact there's quite a few species. Well, what is the diversity of piranhas? Are there still more to be discovered?
1: The actual, the current uh, diversity of piranhas is about 100 species. A Half of them are flesh-eating piranhas. That is the, like the, the piranhas of films. Of course, there are many species to be described now. Now I'm working with to describe at least five piranhas that will be accomplished with the help of uh, many other researchers that study piranhas as well. Maybe in one or two years, I could describe these five piranhas.
2: When you're out and about trying to find these fish, Marcelo, what's what's it actually like? Can you describe to us... What it's like to be up in the Amazon collecting these fish? How do you go about it? How do you find your way around? How do you actually get them out of the water?
1: When I'm in the field, I'm looking for good environment, like uh, in the river, like lakes. Uh, the environment needs to be healthy, have uh, other fish or plant food for piranhas, wake up early and go to the, the river with uh, plenty of baits, like a flesh or a chicken I caught piranhas I'm using gill nets or hooks. It's it's a very common activity in Amazon to catch piranhas. Piranhas is spread for everywhere, and we can catch piranhas in every river in Amazon.
2: And what happens to the fish that you catch?
1: For research, I take to the laboratory to make some experiments. Of course, it's not... Life, for example, I studied diet. I need to to see the good contents and take parts of the flesh to study other kinds of uh, make measurements or counts, things or scales, teeth. Describe the the coloration in life. Describe the coloration in alcohol to make description of the uh, potentially new species. And then I make these fish like a catalogue in the museum to make possible another researchers to see that fish that I described.
2: So you're doing a lot of different types of research on these piranha. How, How many are you catching a day?
1: In the field, I catch, for example, 30 fish. And one of them in the specific place of the river is a potential new species. So I realized another day to go just for the, that place to catch more. For example, for describing a species, I need uh, at least uh, a good number of uh, specimens to describe that new species. So I can catch more uh, 10 or 20 or 30 or more and to describe many aspects of this fish. Like I say, that uh, diets or morphology or at least the, the genetically different part of this fish is like a lottery i could catch one fish or 100 is you know it's fishing
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's fishing (laughs) are you out there on your own when you're doing this or you you with a guide or a big team how does that work
1: when i go to the the field depending on the the research could go just a guide for showing the place or the pilot the boat or i can go with a big team like a 10 Then uh, another researcher, the students, to uh, make camping in the side bank of the river, Uh, spend uh, one week or more uh, looking for a specific fish in the field. Depending on the research, I need just one, another person or a big team.
2: Now, most people, when they go fishing, aren't fishing for research, they're fishing for food. Are piranha commonly eaten in Brazil?
1: In Amazon or in Pantanal. The red-bellied piranha is, uh, there is a, a dish that is, uh, like a soap of piranha that people will order and say that this dish is uh, aphrodisiac.
2: So pe- people think that they're an aphrodisiac as well. It's an interesting thing. A lot of a lot of animals seem to get sort of uh, subsumed into the idea that, that they can be an aphrodisiac. So, Hannah, talking of people eating piranhas, do other animals eat them?
0: Their main predators are animals like caiman, river dolphins, or cormorants, things like that.
2: Marcelo, what do you see as the main predator of piranhas?
1: The main risk of piranhas into the environment is not the caimans or giant otters or dolphins, but I believe that the main predator for piranhas is the human. It's not just for the fishing and fooding humans, but about the environmental change. And this is the main problem, concern, conservation for piranhas.
2: Marcelo, some of your recent research has involved studying plastic that's ingested by piranhas and other fish how have you been doing that? and What sort of things have you
1: discovered? When I start this uh, study, advising a master student in the university, and this student said to me, "Oh, Marcelo, I'm I'm looking for parts of other fish or insects or birds and many kind of parts of other animals in the gut of piranhas, but uh, I find also different item in the gut, in the ask, and show me, show me, uh, okay." I see uh, plastic bags and some labels of uh, clothes and many parts of the plastic polymers and by the time it was 2018 I make the first report of uh, piranhas of fish uh, ingesting plastic in, into the Amazon I think everybody thinks the Amazon is a pristine environment that is a uh, biggest place for the biodiversity in the, into the world, but uh, we have also many problems with the garbage. It's common that the into the small parts, after the fragmentation of the plastic, like a plastic bags or many other kinds of plastics, that will be incorporated in the, into the environment and mixed that with food, and then the fish or any other animals could ingest in these plastics and it will end up into the dish of the humans as well.
2: What sort of level of plastic are we finding in fish up around the Amazon?
1: In this study, that was the, the first record of fish into the Amazon eating plastic. I studied the whole family of piranhas. And I studied about uh, 20 species and 80% of these fish I recorded that eating plastic that was a bad scenario because I believe it that the Amazon is a pristine place it's not to be too polluted but when I study a large group of fish I study about uh, 200 specimens 200 individuals 80% of them I discovered that eating plastic that is awful
2: 80 80 percent
1: yeah yeah wow it's awful man
2: yeah and was that i mean that that is awful and particularly given the area that that they're from right which we do think of us as being perhaps more pristine was that a big surprise to you or did that actually not come as such a big shock
1: no no was a was a surprise because uh, i started this study just for a uh, study the diet of the species to show what these species need from the environment. Because uh, as a researcher, I need to show how the health is the environment, how this environment could keep the specimens there. i looking first just for the the diet of the natural diet. And I saw that 80% of the species are eating plastic as well. It's awful.
2: So obviously piranhas are up in these rivers eating plastic, which is not such a great thing. But overall, are piranhas generally sort of in good shape, conservation wise, at the moment?
1: Uh, yeah, the so piranhas is in a good shaping for about the the conservation because the piranhas like uh, other predators, at least uh, of fish predators, it's very common in the whole environment, have a behaviour of uh, explore new environments.
2: So in general, fairly healthy populations of piranha, but obviously sensitive to human input into the environment. I guess it's very hard to, to think of a bigger human input into the environment at the moment than climate change. Hannah, do you think climate change is a threat to piranhas?
0: Um, I don't think it's a threat to piranhas. They are really tough, hardy fish. They've been shown to survive well in in a huge range of temperatures. And because of their wide diet, they're not particularly fussy about what they eat. They'll clear up a bit of everything and anything. So I think they're one of the species, one of the rare species, that aren't going to be impacted too much by, by climate change. They could go the other way and become a problem if they become more widespread and they start impacting fish populations in other places where they're not meant to be.
2: Well, I think of all the species we've covered in Tooth and Claw, perhaps today's has had the most misconceptions about it. You've been listening to Tooth and Claw with Piranha experts, Marcella Andragi and Hannah Thomas. I'm Adam Hart and the producer was Jonathan Blackwell. And you can listen to previous episodes by going to bbcworldservice.com forward slash discoverer.
0: Something mysterious plagues County Mayo on the west coast of Ireland and its legendary Gaelic football team. I believe in the curse. Yeah, I think it's real. Is it just superstition? Or could there be more to it?
1: Sometimes I think there's something sinister going on. What do we need to do to win an All-Ireland Final for Mayo?
0: Listen to the curious tale of the Mayo Curse on Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts.